Well, God is good. And all the time. My name is Reverend Mike. Grateful I get to bring the word to you here and online. You know, when I was a teenager, uh, behind my father's restaurant was a place that I loved to take breaks throughout the day when I had time to take a break, a break for lunch. Now, behind the restaurant, there was a small parking lot. The other side of that, East Sangamon Avenue, a road that went right by the, the restaurant. And then there was a patch of grass, there was grass in between the two. Grass wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of grass there, but in the middle of it all was a very, very big locust tree, a locust tree. Now, that locust tree was really nice to have because we had so much concrete around the property, and it did just add value, just for better sight lines, if you will, towards the restaurant. Now, beautiful big tree, but the locust tree does something. It creates bean pods. Anyone know about these bean pods? Like eight to like 16 inches long, these big brown bean pods that come out during summer and during the fall. These bean pods were the bane of my father's existence, okay? Think about the Christmas story and how the, and, uh, how the character in Christmas story, the dad, he's always mad at the furnace. If you've seen that movie before, these, were, these bean pods were the bane of my father's existence. We talk about them in the wintertime, how these bean pods were coming and he was gonna have to clean them up because they all fell off and they sounded like maracas when you sh- shook them around. They'd be in the parking lot and we had to clean them up all the time. We also had one in front of the house as well. So he'd always talk about cleaning up these bean pods. So one of the things that a job that he did, and then as I became a teenager, he had me do, was to make sure that we trimmed the tree as best as possible to prevent more of these bean pods. Because on these locust trees, they can grow really big limbs. And so he'd bring out like an eight feet tall ladder, And in the summer, he'd have me, or spring, he'd have me get up on that ladder. He'd be at the bottom. And he'd always push me up towards the top of it. Say, Michael, go higher. Go higher to trim these. And and he'd have a a manual pole saw that he'd give me. And I would reach as high as I could. And I would try my very best to, to get these, you know, get these limbs down. And he'd say, Michael, go a little bit higher. Higher. And I'd look, and there'd be a step or two. And I'm not afraid of heights, but I am afraid of falling. So maybe I'm afraid of heights uh, and losing my balance. And so I'd go up there, and then he'd say, no, 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 keep going. Like clockwork, he would want me to go to the very top of the ladder, on top. Not on a step, on the very top. And whenever I'd get there, and I, didn't want, I was a teenager, I didn't want to admit that I was getting scared, you know. Uh, and so I'm reaching, I'd go to the top, and then I'd say, I don't know about this, Dad. You know what he'd do? He was a comforting dad. He would take his right hand and he would touch my right calf and he would say, don't worry, Michael, I got you. Not very, doesn't bring a lot of confidence, I will tell you that. Underneath that tree where I took my breaks was a picnic table. That picnic table um, was uh, special for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is because throughout those breaks and those days, especially towards my uh, later teenage years and early 20s, I would read uh, this Bible there. I'd bring it out and I would just kind of let the word of God begin to shape me. 
And I want you to know that this, rest, this uh, Bible sat in the restaurant quite a bit. And so if you open it up, you can still smell Ott's Drive-In, that diner, just a little bit. And as you can tell, it is, if I just let go, it would fall apart right now. That smell stuck on this Bible so much. I'm missing Matthew 4 through 26. It's because my dog, Laddie, he ate it. <laughs> True story, he ate it. Thought he was getting a hamburger or something from the restaurant. But I will tell you that I was, I was sitting there uh, on that table, uh, sitting on the picnic table there. Uh, what God was doing is he was shaping me. I was thinking about things like Joshua 1 about do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. Be careful to do everything that is in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful in everything that you do. God was shaping me. God was pushing me. God was helping me to grow. And just like me and my dad trimmed those trees to shape them in the way that we wanted to shape them that would benefit us, I know that God was beginning to shape me and my growth in him. Well, today, friends, we're gonna land this sermon series. The centering text we've been using for this Acts 8 series has kind of offered a snapshot to an effective, a growing, and a unified, and even an empowered church. We've seen Luke offer eight characteristics of the early Christian community, and we've been calling these the Acts 8. So let's briefly look through the Acts 8 together. What did we see from the scripture verse today with this early community that was on fire with God? First of all, they had wonder. Awe came over all of them. Wonder means that there was something genuinely happening in their community. And it was so good. It was so divine seeming that it was hard for them to grasp. It kind of, it hit them, it struck them, and they knew that something special was happening. They were full of wonder and awe, touching their hearts. Next, we see miracles. And the apostles performed many signs and wonders. Miracles are the affirmation that something supernatural is actually real. It can always be criticized when we think about wonder and awe in a community that maybe people have just gotten to in some kind of psychologic, psychological chaotic state and maybe it's not real. Well, miracles were a way to say that this early Christian community, they were following God, they were growing and that the supernatural that they were sensing in their midst, it was real, there was miracle, there was a fellowship around them. It says the believers met together constantly the believers, the church, actually wanted to be around each other. And when they got together, their time together didn't feel wasted. Have you ever been with people before? You're like, I'm just wasting my time. Where is this conversation going? Not for this group of believers. When they got together, they enjoyed one another. And they even thought just their small talk, it had a meaning. There was something special going on with the early church. Then we see they had generosity. They sold their possessions and shared the proceeds with those in need. This is evidence that they understood that God first loved them. This is evidence that they understood what Jesus had given for them. They understood how meaningful the mission was. And when you put that all together and mix it up, they said, God, we just want to give to you. We want to give to one another because we know that this is worth it. 
help bring clarity for the early church. They also worshiped. They worshiped together each day. They were not worshiping just because they had to go to worship. They weren't doing it as a job. They were not just a group of do-gooders, a 501c3 that was forming. They were there to worship the living God. We take it a little bit deeper They weren't there just for the awe. They weren't there just for the miracles. They were there to worship and lift up God. And whenever they got centered in that worshiping and lifting up God, that's when awe started to fill them. That's when the miracles started to take place. It was an idea about God, this is about you and what you have done. When they came together to worship, it was from their hearts. It was to celebrate Jesus the God of the universe. We also see they had communion. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared meals with great joy and generosity. The Lord's table was a feature, holy communion. It becomes a centering piece for them. It's a way to really taste and see that the Lord is good. It's a tangible way to remember that Christ lived, he died, he was resurrected. So they wanted to do that regularly, but not only that, it was a way that they proclaimed with, their, with themselves and to the public that the same Christ that we have known who has lived, died, and been resurrected and ascended, one day he's gonna return. So they shared in communion. It was a centering for them. They had a good reputation. They enjoyed the goodwill of the people. Their witness and work created a good reputation for the Christians. And finally, we'll talk today about their Growth, growth. And each day the Lord added to their group those being saved. Why did the number of people being saved keep being added daily? You know why, friends? It's because the church's individuals embraced the growth plan that God had for them. The individual people embraced what God was doing in their life, embraced how God was saying, I need you to trust in me. They embraced the growth plan that God had. And whenever they individually said, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. When they individually said, Jesus, I will follow you, fruitfulness, growth started to happen in their midst. Growth, spiritual growth. Sounds good. We embrace it from time to time. But let's face it, a lot of spiritual growth is no fun. And we'll get into reasons why it's no fun here in a second. A lot of spiritual growth is not fun. (laughs) You know, often people, that first commitment to Jesus, so beautiful. It's like a first love, just beautiful. The first commitment to Jesus. There's so many emotions that go into it. It feels so good. But as anyone knows who's been married, that after those emotions go away, there's more to marriage than just the feelings of first love. There's commitment, there's communication, there's growth. And so at times following this Jesus, just for those of you out there who, are, who maybe have had some great emotional moments, some really real moments, and maybe even today you're questioning a little bit. 
You're questioning, gosh, I think God's wanted me to grow, but this isn't like what happened last time. Well, I would just say that you're getting into marriage. (laughs) God's inviting you to grow because there's gonna be something richer than just the first emotional response to his love. So what are some growth barriers? Let's talk about growth barriers. Let's start out fun here. What do you think, Johnny? Let's start out fun, some growth barriers. Here we go. A growth barrier is an obstacle that prevents our lives from moving forward. What's a growth barrier? An obstacle that prevents our lives from moving forward. Okay, so what are some examples of growth barriers we experience? Let's get really fun, right off the bat. One of the growth barriers that we experience is us. Sometimes a growth barrier we experience is actually us. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy, right? We know what we should do, and we don't do it. And maybe no one else knows, but we know it. You know, last year, I had a, you know, ministry can be tough. I had a tough ministry week, just tough. Pray for, always pray for your pastors. And then had something going on in our family, just really heavy. And then I had a tough Thursday meeting, and then something else on Thursday evening, and I was just, just feeling burdened. Uh, my wife and kids were not uh, at home that evening, and I thought, you know what I probably need to do? I probably need to go on a walk. Probably need to clear my mind a little bit. You know, maybe even get into prayer. That's what I need to do. But you know what I saw? My wife just got a uh, Ninja ice cream blender. A blender. She just got it. And I looked at that thing and, and I brought out its special bowl and I opened up the freezer and I got five scoops of vanilla ice cream and four Oreos, and I got into the kids' candy from like Easter egg extravaganza or something, I don't know. Got a couple of Kit Kats. I put it in there with a little milk. I put it in that blender thing, and it made me this beautiful, beautiful blizzard. I ate that, and I went to bed. Now, now whose fault was that? Valerie's. I don't know why she would... I just don't know why she would think I could handle that thing around. <laughs> no, no, no. It was my fault, of course. The next day I did spend some time on a walk and in prayer. The night before, not so much. Sometimes, friends, we are our own worst enemy. It's okay. But I will tell you, this is sometimes when we gotta hear a little bit of a push. Sometimes we have to, in those times when we are not pushing forward. We just gotta suck it up, buttercup. Sometimes we need to hear that word. We just gotta suck it up and we need to do what God's calling us to to do. What's another growth barrier? Sometimes circumstances are. We can't discount the fact that sometimes there are circumstances outside of us that that will become a growth barrier. We may not have the opportunity that we need to grow. We may not have the resources. We may not have the people around us. Because remember, in growth, uh, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it in a silo. And there are times in our journeys where we get into a spot where we just truly don't maybe know how to grow and don't have the tools that we need. We can't discount that, that sometimes our circumstances are preventing us and our growth can be encumbered. What's another growth 
uh, what's another growth barrier we experience? Spiritual, spiritual growth barriers. And sometimes, if we truly have the desire to do what God wants us to do, and we're like, I'm gonna suck it up, buttercup. If we have the resources around us, the people that can help us grow, and we're really trying, and there doesn't, it doesn't seem to be moving forward, you know what we probably ran into? A spiritual barrier. A spiritual barrier. And so those spiritual barriers become very difficult, but I do want you uh, to distinguish or just be able to discern that if you have the other two kind of at bay, the spiritual barrier is one that's difficult. So let's talk a little bit about how we can get past these growth barriers. First of all, what do we need to do? These are growth barrier breakers. We're going heavy on the nose first half of this sermon. Growth barrier breakers. First, you gotta face your weaknesses. Face your weaknesses. Now, this isn't often fun because who in the world wants to allow other people to see their weaknesses, right? I mean, I don't. I wanna always be seen in my strengths. But facing our weaknesses is something that we have to do if we want to grow in our faith. Not fun, we want our strengths to be shown. I I like this quote from Hammer and Hank Aaron. Um, You know, for me, the true baseball home run king, he hit 755 home runs in his career, obviously a prolific hitter. Uh, He said this one time, he said, it took me 17 years to get to 3,000 hits in baseball, but it took me one afternoon on the golf course. I always like that. And I think how, how humbling that would be for Hammer and Hank Aaron who can do something so very well, better than really anyone else has ever done. And yet he goes off, he tries to play another sport and he's really bad at it. I like how he made a joke about that. And for us in our lives, you know, God wants us to work on our weaknesses. Now, when God does that, it's a matter of faith oftentimes. And I know in, in leadership books the last 30 years or so, they've talked about like whenever you have a professional skill, if you're a four at something, uh, don't spend all your effort on becoming a five. Instead, if you're, find out what you're a seven at and then spend your effort in trying to become an eight or a nine. And I get that. And I'm not really talking about that here. I think that works great in a professional setting. But what I'm talking about is when God, you really feel like the God is pointing on a weakness that we have. Maybe it's like leading a connect group, like you've never led a group before. And you're like, I don't wanna do that because I don't really know what to say. I don't know how to study the Bible right way. I don't know how to run a group. Well, that would be a weak area that God is asking you to improve in. Maybe it's about inviting people to church, right? Like, I don't really know how to invite someone to church and it's gonna come across awkward. I don't know how to give out the invite card. I don't know how to send the text. Well, that would be an area of growth. One of the scriptures that I absolutely love is in Hebrews 11, it's the Hall of Faith. And at the end of the Hall of Faith chapter, uh, and all these great people of faith, men and women, about how they follow God by faith, it says that God turned some of their weaknesses into strengths. He turned their weaknesses into strengths. So what am I talking about here? Those things that God is inviting us towards that we know is a weakness It becomes a matter of faith, believing that he can turn it into a strength. Let me go a little bit deeper here. You know why we don't wanna 
get into our weaknesses and do something in front of people that can be embarrassing or it's because we feel like failures, da-da-da, da-da-da. Who wants to feel like a failure? Show of hands. I didn't see any. (laughs) We've got one up there. We don't want to feel like failures. But can I tell you something? That if God's inviting you to grow in a weak area and you have to grapple with this feeling of failure, did you know that's an opportunity to, to sense God's love is even greater, even greater than your failure? Even greater than your failure. And I would even argue that as you battle through a weak, weak area that you start to get strong, at the end of it, it's not even about what you got stronger at, what you got better at. At the end of it, it's about how much more God loves you. And that's a confidence that no one can ever take away from you. We gotta face our weaknesses. It got so quiet in here, I'm sorry, it's a heavy one. Okay, next, be realistic about your circumstances. These are... um, These are uh, growth barrier breakers. Be realistic about your circumstances. Is there something outside of you that is in the way of your growth? If your situation won't change, you gotta start asking, how can you change your situation? We had a uh, really group of strong Christian brothers when I was late teens and early 20s. Just loved this group of, of, love this group of believers. If you don't have a strong group of believers, you know, pray for one. It was so much fun. We were in our teens and 20s, and so we were still having fun and playing games outside, playing video games and all that. But we were all starting also to make steps towards our future. We knew that, you know, in that age, you got to start making some steps towards your future. And we had one guy in our group who was a great friend who we loved dearly, who was having kind of failure to launch. Failure to launch. He kind of just wanted to stay in his parents' house and just kind of eat fast food and not really do anything with his life. Well, me and another guy in the group were kind of sensing that. And I realized that this person that I allowed into my life, who is a good friend, is that our relationship was getting out of balance. Why? Because on nights that I needed to get ready for work the next day and do schoolwork, and I was in ministry too, working two jobs in school, he wanted to come over and play video games like from 7 a.m. to 4 a.m. in the morning. And then we'd take a break and we'd go get slushies. We'd get slushies at the gas station. And we'd go get some candy too. At some point, I realized that I had to change my circumstance. And I had to have kind of a conversation and put some boundaries with this guy that was just a dear brother to me. Why did I do that? Because what I let in was a um, barrier for the growth that God had for me. We still have a, we have a good relationship to this day. And he knew that he was struggling in that way. My point is, is that If you can change your outside circumstance, it may be tough emotionally, but change it so you can embrace the change, the growth that God has for you. All right, then pray and fast. Pray and fast. If you're in a situation where you feel like God is challenging you to grow and it's not happening, you got to just pray and fast. This usually is when we start to get a little bit desperate. So you got the resources we've talked about, you got the the know-how, but for some reason nothing's happening. That means you're at a spiritual stronghold and you gotta pray and fast, and if you do that, God then will break you through. Now, praying and fasting 
It can be so lack of, or do, uh, stopping social media for a while. It can be missing a meal. It could just not be having coffee. But the point is, is that when we do that, we're showing God that we need his help. God then will give us the breakthrough, give us the strength that we need. He'll give us the discernment that we need for what the growth area is that we need to be working towards. But he'll bring the breakthrough. Friends, why is all this important? Why are we talking about growth today for this reason? When we grow, God's church grows. Whenever we, like the early church, say, God, what's the growth plan for me? I'm in. God is going to then grow his church, grow his people. Our personal development is undeniably linked with the speed in which God's church grows and his kingdom advances. And I wanna give a little different angle into this for some of you today that maybe God's been pushing or pulling towards an area of growth somewhere in your life. Some of you may even wonder, why does God keep coming after me? My, my life doesn't seem that important. Maybe it's about coming to church. Someone keeps bothering you about coming to church all the time. Maybe it is about leading a connect group, serving in a ministry, and you just feel like it's not just the person. It's feel like God just keeps knocking on the door of your life. Maybe he wants you to give more. Maybe there's something else. You know, the reason God is doing that is because it's not about you. <laughs> I, did, I hated hearing that when I was in my late teens and early 20s. I mean, I hated it. It's not about you. Let me say this a little differently. If I told you that if you just start reading your Bible, try to do it daily, several times a week for the next two years, the investment you put in is somehow gonna bless a friend, bless a brother, bless a parent, bless a child. Like I knew for sure. You would say, well, yeah, I'll do that, right? If I said that, you coming to church every Sunday is going to give you some type of breakthrough at your job. You say, oh, really? Yeah, if, I, if you come to church every Sunday for a year, you're gonna see a big breakthrough at your job. You'd probably say, okay, well, I'm coming. Well, that, those are the types of promises God gives to us. If we're obedient to him, God says that I will bless you upon abundance. People that you see that are struggling, something about your life will bless them. And sometimes it's not even, a, it's still not about your life. God will move in someone else's life. I know, I have family members that have come to Christ and I had nothing to do with sharing the gospel with them. I am convinced it's because I've taken steps of obedience that God has blessed others. Friends, you think, well, why doesn't God just say that? Well, he says it in his word, and because it is faith that pleases him. He's trying to get us to walk by faith. And some of us always want to know, how does this link to this? You know, we are so sequential. We want to know, how am I doing this right now? It will get me to this. And God says, (laughs) he said, brother and sister, just trust me. I got it. I'll take care of it. Fall in love with me. Find out how much I love you. And if you do that, I'm gonna take care of those people in your life who need a blessing. It's by faith, friends. It's by faith. When we grow, Christ's church will grow, but ultimately God's church will grow. So I just say that to you. God is saying, just trust me, do the growth plan, and then you will grow. I got a story that I want to share with you just really quickly. 
out of Acts 18. Really, really fun story uh, that I want to give to you just because it goes in this idea of growth. So there's a guy uh, named uh, the Apostle Paul, right? The spotlight's on him in Acts chapter 18. Paul is someone who is uh, discipling this couple, as we see, named Aquila and Priscilla, this, this fine Christian couple. He pours his life into this Christian couple. They actually live together for a time. They have a business together, tent making. And he's just really trying to have an influence on them because in the book of Acts, it's really about the mission of God going forward. So we start to see the mission go to Priscilla and Aquila. Then in Acts 18, we see the Apostle Paul. He uh, gets called to go do full-time ministry. So he leaves Priscilla and Aquila. And there's someone who jumps on the scene. His name is Apollos. And I just want to read this one scripture here so we can get a sense of Apollos. Here it is in Acts 18, 24 and 25. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he only knew about John's baptism. This guy named Apollos, friends, he had something really special. When he walked into the room, the, the Bible says that basically a, a better translation is that he was a glow. He had the spirit of God resting on him. This wasn't about him just being a charismatic character or a great public speaker. No, no, no. The Bible wants everyone to know that it was just because he fell in love with God, there was the spirit of God resting upon him. From there, we find out that he is missing something in his journey, though. He's been telling people about John's baptism. He's been a good, he's been good a part of God's church in many ways. He's been eloquently speaking everywhere. He's got some skill. He's helping to move the kingdom forward, but he's missing something. Someone out there say he's missing something. Oh, yeah, let's do it one more time. He's missing something. There we go. He is missing something, friends. And in his journey, he goes to preach at a synagogue. And when he goes to this synagogue, God has a plan to help fill in the gap that he's missing with his understanding. Because really, all he understands is John's baptism. He's more of someone who understands the law and the prophets, but not the kingdom yet. He's missed Jesus' sermons. He doesn't know about the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know about the great commissioning or reaching out to the Gentiles as well. Yet he's been an effective worker. But it was time for Apollos to get what was next in his journey. God wanted to give him more. And so Priscilla and Aquila hear him preaching and teaching. And they can tell that he is anointed by God. But they also can tell that he's got a big gap in his understanding. And so what do they do? They bring him to the side. And they talk with him about what God had poured into them through the Apostle Paul. And in this moment in the text, this growth moment for Apollos, you kind of wonder, how's he going to respond, right? This guy's an effective ministry worker. He is skilled. He's got the spirit of God upon him. Does he need this Christian couple that he's never met before to teach him anything? He does, and he accepts their teaching. He listens to them, and he begins to learn about the kingdom. He begins to learn about Jesus' teaching. He begins to learn about the coming of the Holy Spirit and his power. And he then becomes, he comes into fellowship with them all. Apollo's friends, he grows. Why? Because he has the humility to accept the teaching of another couple 
Christian people. God shapes him then into the person that God intends him to be. What happens after that? Well, Apollos goes out and he becomes a great encouragement. He begins to kind of correct people who are saying Jesus was not the Messiah. He learned what he was taught. The gap had been filled and he moved forward. Friends, he grew in his faith. He grew in his faith. You know, when we were um, about six, six years ago, I was traveling uh, in England with a group of pastors on a Wesleyan pilgrimage. It was really a great, a great time. Uh, we were going all through England and seeing these things about John Wesley. We were going to a town called Broadway. Uh, and, and Broadway's a small town with a beautiful church in it. And we were going through the countryside like on a tour bus. And uh, the, the uh, tour guide on the bus was telling us about the area. And we saw a, an apple orchard coming. And he mentioned from a distance, he said, oh yeah, it's apple season and there's an apple orchard out there. They have those all around here, a small apple orchard. And we thought, oh, okay. That's interesting. And then as we got closer, we noticed that the limbs on, on the trees on the apple orchard, it looked like they had just been butchered. The limbs had just been butchered. And I, and I asked a question and I said, uh, it's apple season. Why are those limbs butchered out there? How are they producing apples? And he said to us, he said to us, oh, the orchard owners do that on purpose. They, they cut down the big limbs in order that all the nutrients and all the focus might go to those limbs, the smaller limbs, or the, the limbs that would then produce great apples. Produce great apples. They would go out there and they would cut the bigger limbs in order that all the nutrients would go to creating Great apples. When I think about me being underneath that tree when I was in my late teens and early 20s about shaping that tree with my dad, we were shaping it to be what we needed it to be, that it wouldn't be unsightly, that we wouldn't have a bunch of those bean pods everywhere where we had to clean up. And then I think about being under that tree. I think about being in the word and how God was growing and shaping me. I just wonder today, how is God growing and shaping you? Because when you embrace that, when you grow, God's church grows. Here's how we're gonna finish up, friends. So most of you were given at some type of little handout. It's got the Acts 8 prayer on it. We're gonna pray that together in just a moment. And the idea is, Reverend Shane has preached, I think, all the sermons at this campus. And I guarantee you something Reverend Shane said, the Lord used something to probably challenge you in your growth. And so I just want you to reflect on the series and, and maybe, you know, is a wonder and awe. God wants you to experience miraculous works, fellowship, generosity, being a worship offering. Center, of, uh, uh, center with communion, the good reputation, or is it just growth in general? And so we just encourage you to keep these. We do have ushers in the back. If you would like one of these, just raise your hand right now and the ushers will get those to you. We see a couple people raising their hand back there. Yep, back there. Ushers will get those to you if you need them right now. And the idea here is, is that you would just pray this prayer, of course, with us today, but keep it around for a few weeks. 
You know, keep it on the dash of your car, put it on the mirror at home, put it on the refrigerator. And when, when you have it, just keep praying this because we just wanna embrace this personal growth that God has for each one of us. Because when we embrace that personal growth, it's gonna bless other people. It's gonna move God's kingdom forward. God's church is gonna grow. And yes, our local church family here at Christ Church will grow as well. Let's pray this Acts 8 prayer together. It should be on the screen as well. Almighty God, help me to experience wonder and awe from your presence. Almighty God, help me to be a part of your miraculous works. Almighty God, help me to experience rich fellowship with other Christians. Almighty God, may generosity be a word that describes my life. Almighty God, make my life a worship offering to you. Almighty God, center my life in Christ. Almighty God, grant me a good reputation. Almighty God, bring growth to my life and to Christ's church. Will you pray with me? Great God of light, we thank you so much for shedding your word and its light upon our lives. God, growth, we just wanna say, because God, we know you want honesty. Growth oftentimes, God, is no fun. It's no fun. Sometimes it's because we have to embrace a weakness. Sometimes, Lord, we've made plans, but maybe we didn't involve you in those plans. And now you're saying to adjust them. So we're just honest before you, God. But we also say, God, we know what you've done. You've sent your son, Jesus Christ. You've given us everything. You've given us life everlasting. You've healed us, you've helped us. And so God, we just say as a church, individually, help us to grow in the way that you want. We say as a church, no matter what we feel, we know we need to grow in the ways that you want. And so God, we thank you for being with us. And we thank you, God, as we embrace you on this growth journey, we will become more and more the Acts 8 church that you've always intended. We love you and we pray through Jesus' strong name. Amen.